Good morning, good morning. Find Romans chapter 12, please, if you'll make your way there. Romans chapter 12, you can see from what is up front that we will be talking about the transformed life and spending just about all our time in the book of Romans and in chapter 12. I want to say to you this morning that I am thankful for the opportunity to be with you for the elders and the invitation that they have extended to me to come and to spend these days with you, uh, dealing with the theme, Building Better Lives in a Broken World. I hope that you see why we started where we started in this theme. I want to move quickly into the Building the Better Lives concept uh, by taking us to Romans 12 and talking about the transformed, the transformed life. I'm going to be using primarily the New King James Version throughout the week, and using that today in Romans chapter 12, let's pick up the reading in Romans chapter 12. Let's begin in verse 1. Romans 12, beginning in verse 1. Apostle Paul, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove that which is good and acceptable, perfect will of God. For I say, verse 3, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. To think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, verse 5, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts, Differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. He who, or in ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now let love be, verse 9, Paul continues, without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, and be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent, however, in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer and distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. There, there is a context here in Romans 12. And there is a greater context inside this letter that Paul writes to the saints. And in Romans chapter 12... 
As I see the text, as I see the context, what Paul is doing is he's speaking about mutual responsibilities that we have toward one another because we are in Christ. Family obligations, family responsibilities, because we have a common Lord and we share a common faith, we are spiritually in the same family. And we are to see each other this way so that we will treat each other this way. And Paul starts with an appeal. Verse 1. A, a beseeching. And he says, I beseech you by the mercies of God. And before he ever moves into some one another responsibilities, like in verse 10, being devoted to one another in brotherly love, or in verse 16 that we didn't read, but he says live in harmony with one another. Before he deals with the one another relationship and what binds us together, he makes it very personal. He makes it very personal. You see, it's my faith. It's my relationship. And because vertically I'm connected to God, then naturally, I want to be taught by God to see and appreciate my responsibility that I have towards others in the family. The transformed life that Paul talks about here, truly being transformed, is seen in relationship to our relationship with God. How we see God, how we're committed to God. All right, are y'all seeing anything? Because I'm not, and I don't know what I did. I'm, I'm not getting anything. Okay, there's a problem up there. Well, as long as it's not with me, I'm good. All right, all right. First of all, the transformed life. I want you to think about as it relates to our relationship with God. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That makes it very personal. The idea of presenting something and presenting myself means giving myself wholly over to someone else. And the someone else is God. I belong to God. And because I belong to God, I, I see my relationship with God in the terms of I'm dead to sin, and I'm dead to the world, and, an, and I'm alive, God, to you, and I'm alive to your ways. See, presenting myself to God means, God, you're in charge, I am not. You're in the driver's seat, I am not. And again, being gripped by grace helps us to appreciate that. Go back to Romans, this time chapter 6. Paul had already said this. If you just look at it as a letter, they would have already heard this being read. They would have already had to deal with this text in Romans chapter 6 beginning in verse 11. So consider yourselves, Romans 6 verse 11, consider yourselves, make it personal. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Jesus Christ. And so... Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body to obey its lust. Pause. Do not let sin reign. There's a difference between me sinning and me letting sin reign in my body. There's a difference between me failing and, and me saying, Look, I'm just going to do what I want to do. 
I'm going to let sin be my master because I want to be the master. I want to be in control. I want to do what I want to do. I want to live the way I want to live. And Paul says, look, that, that, those aren't people who are alive to God. That's not someone who's gripped by grace. People who are gripped by grace, who see themselves alive to God, they present their bodies, they present themselves to God as those alive from the dead, and their members as instruments of righteousness to God. Romans 6, verse 13. Now verse 14. For sin shall not be master over you. You're not under law. You're under grace. And so the transformed life is the presenting of myself to God, alive to God, dead to sin, dead to the world. We're described in the New Testament intentionally by the Holy Spirit with language like holy brethren. That's intentional language in Hebrews 3 and verse 1. Holy nation by Peter in 1 Peter 2 and verse 1. We're called holy ones, we're called saints, for a reason. But if you only see the concept of saint as someone being set apart from sin, you're only seeing one side of the coin. You see, saints or holy ones, yes, are set apart from sin, but they're consecrated now to God. Why? They're alive to God. That's the picture that Paul painted in Romans 6 before he ever got to Romans 12. And so he begins in Romans 12 with an appeal. I'm beseeching you i'm pleading with you by the mercies of god that you see yourselves this way as alive to god and dead to sin we we sing songs all the time that speak to this take my life and let it be consecrated take my life let me be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my hands, take my will, take my heart, take my love, take myself. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. Beautiful, beautiful words. But do I mean it? Ever only all for thee. The transformed life is seen first in my relationship, my relationship to God, my commitment to God. And he says, you are a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Spiritual form of worship. But he doesn't just talk about our relationship to God. He talks about our relationship to the world. Be not conformed to this world. Alive to God. And so do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I used to hear the old time preachers say of Romans 12 and verse 12, don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. Transformed. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Therefore come out from among them, brethren, and be separate, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will be a father to you, unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. 
Come out from among them. Be separate. That's the language again to illustrate the concept of what Paul had already talked about in Romans chapter 12, presenting yourself to God, living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. And then he says, now don't, don't be like the world. Be different from the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, it's me, as an act of my will, changing the way I think about certain things, about certain desires, about certain ambitions, about certain people and places. It's a changing of the way you think. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind since action does follow thought since we will move in the direction of our minds if I'm not renewing my mind if I'm not changing the way I think how will I change the way that I live what's my relationship to this world John would say, do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world, because all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride or the vainglory of life. He said it's not of the Father. And again, whenever you have the Holy Spirit saying that something is not of the Father, that means stay away from it. That means see it the way the Holy Spirit of God sees it. It's not of the Father. And since it's not of the Father, I can't have anything to do with it in the way that I think. Because when I give my mind over to these thoughts or this way of thinking, it will produce in me this way of living. It's our separation from the world. It's kind of like putting a boat in the water. You, you guys that are fishermen, I'm in Texas, so I'm, I've got to be talking to someone who fishes. And you guys, you put a boat in the water... Because that's where a boat belongs. You put a Christian in the world because that's where a Christian belongs. I know, look, I get it. I've been a parent. I've had the day, already raised three, but I've had the day where I thought, okay, Lord, I'm going to take my wife and my three kids and we're going to a deserted island. I'm tired of this lot kind of being vexed and tormented by the things that I see in here every day. These are things I can't fix, and I can't control this, and God, I'm sick and tired of this, and well, the Lord had to deal with me. It's like, you, you, can't, you can't go to a deserted island. I put you in this world. You put a boat in the water because that's where a boat belongs. You put a Christian in the world because that's where a Christian belongs. But you get water in the boat, and you have a problem, right? You get the world in a Christian, and you have a problem. So Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove that which is good, acceptable, the perfect will of God. See, there's a proving that goes on. And that proving connects itself to what is good, acceptable, perfect. Well, I just described God, didn't I? Well, I didn't. The Holy Spirit did. And he's describing God in these terms because he's connecting God to God's will. 
and he's connecting God's will to God's purpose for my life. You see your relationship with God and now let that impact your relationship before the world. Because friendship with the world is enmity with God. And so whoever desires, whoever chooses to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Listen, if you're in a relationship of hostility with God, you're fighting a battle you cannot win. And he doesn't just speak in terms of friendship with the world. He uses language intentional. Whoever desires to make himself. See, that's a deliberate choice. That's not just an accidental kind of thing that happens. This is something that I choose. Well, how did I get over here? Well, I chose it. But what made me choose it? I was thinking like this. And James says, whoever makes himself an enemy of God will be in hostility with God. Sometimes, sometimes we forget, sometimes I forget that because I've been raised with Christ, because Christ is Lord of my life, I am setting my mind in a certain direction and in a certain place. That's Colossians 3, on things above. This is where I used to stop with two. You're going to find out this week, I hardly ever stop with two. It's three. I'll tell you later on this week about Ashley and Caleb and Hannah, my three children. It's not just our relationship with God, and it's not just our relationship with the world. It, Paul's very practical. He, he wanted to get to this point. He wanted to get to a point in Romans 12 in the greater context of the book of Romans to make some very practical application that had to do with one another responsibilities and accountability that we have. So go back to the text and let's appreciate again. Let's see Romans chapter 12, now verse 3. For I say, Romans 12 verse 3, I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think soberly. To think soberly as God has dealt to each a measure of grace. One writer describes ego, ego, E-G-O, as edging God out. The thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Boy, isn't that, isn't that pride taking over? Isn't that my ego getting in the way? Isn't that me having thoughts that as soon as everybody will get as smart as I am, things will be a whole lot better in this local church. As soon as everybody will get a lot more spiritual like I am, we will turn our Bible classes around. And we've got visitation programs, and as soon as everybody will be as hospitable and as serving as I am, what a wonderful church this will be. You think, and you're sitting there saying, nobody thinks that way. We may not say it, 
transform. Renewing your mind. And then Paul again says, hey, to this Paul, you, you need to think soberly. You need to think soberly. Well, what will help us think soberly? What will help me to be sensible in the way that I'm thinking so that I can be in a better, better place and position to, to serve others? Well, he says God. Don't, don't forget him. God has dealt to each one a measure of If you come to me later on this week and ask me to explain that God has dealt to each one a measure, go to Ricky or Jordan, sorry. But I get the God, the one measuring it out. The gifts that Paul talks about here in Romans 12, and I, I will give you that the, the prophesying is perhaps a spiritual gift and God has chosen not to use that and in, be in need of that in this age but the rest of these gifts in Romans 12 are natural gifts and when I forget the giver of whatever gift natural gift that I have to serve to give to lead boy if I ever get in a position back home as an elder and think and I tell you what, the leading that I'm doing, the shepherding that I'm doing, if I ever take my eyes off of the giver, then I'm not thinking sensibly. And Paul says, look, God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And we have many members, but one body. And all the members do not have the same function. We have differing gifts, but we don't all have the same function. We have different gifts, but Paul says, use the gift that you have. You're not better than anybody else because of the gift that you have, but use the gift that you have. Think sensibly. Many members, different gifts, use the gift. When Caleb, he's my middle, 27 years old now. When Caleb was six or seven, I was one of the coaches on the baseball team. And I can remember, in order to only miss one game, I would have to finish a meeting on Friday night and drive all night to get back home for Saturday morning so I would only miss one game and not two games because I was coaching. And I remember Caleb. Caleb was, Caleb was my energetic child, but he didn't have a very good arm. He had a good glove. He didn't have a very good arm. So I couldn't put him at shortstop at six or seven years old because about half the time they'd take a one bounce to get to first base. So I put him at second base. Now I told y'all he's my energetic child. And I remember one game, Caleb was all over the infield. And I had taught the infielders, I had taught the guys, six, six and seven year olds, I said when, when there's a pop fly in the infield, I, I want to hear you call it. I want to hear you say mine. You could hear Caleb from a mile away every time the ball was in the air. It didn't matter if it was over to the third base and Caleb's at second base. Man! And here he goes. 
he came to the dugout, and I pulled him aside, and I said, hey, Caleb, buddy, man, I appreciate your energy and your enthusiasm. I need you to do something for Dad. He goes, okay, what is it? Play your position. I put you at second base to play second base, not shortstop or third place. Play your position. Pretty good advice as a coach, isn't it? That's Romans 12. Spiritually speaking, when he says to this Paul, think sensibly. The gifts that I have given you, you're seeing me as the giver. Yes, I want you to use them, but I want you to play your position. That's why they won't let me lead singing back home. That's not my position. And, and we hear these things and we think, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. But sometimes we're, we're put to the test. I'm put to the test. Go to 1 Corinthians 12. I, I like 1 Corinthians 12. I, you know, I can remember 1 Corinthians 12 because, you know, I was, I'm in Romans 12. But in, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is talking about a similar concept and he's using similar language. Beginning in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 12, and, and Paul says, For in fact the body, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14, is not one member but many. Now listen to the language. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body, verse 17, were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? And I, and I think y'all see the point that he's making by asking a series of questions. But now, verse 18, God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members yet one body. And here's his point, verse 21. And so the eye, the eye cannot say, the point is the eye should not say, should not say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be. Weaker or necessary? Well, we don't always see the way God sees. And those members of the body that seem to be weak, they are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable on these, we are to bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God has composed the body, verse 24, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Same care for one another. And he uses imagery, and he uses language like foot, and hand, and ear, and eye to make spiritual points about our relationship to others. 
and how we relate to others. And each member in the body is useful in its proper place. Maybe you're thinking of Ephesians 4, 16. Great, great commentary on Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. But here's Paul again in Ephesians 4, verse 16. The whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective work by which each part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I got a lot of books in my office from human authors that say some good things about church growth. Being better connected to others in a local church. But none better than what the Holy Spirit says. I've never, I have never asked a committed Christian. I'm not setting y'all up, so stay with me. I've never asked a committed Christian the question, do you want the local church for which you are a member, do you want that local church to grow? I've never asked a committed Christian, do you want this church to grow? And they say, yeah, no, uh-uh. I haven't. If you have, we need to talk. Committed Christian. Committed Christians think growth. And you can say, okay, well, which one are you talking about? Numerical or spiritual? You're, now you're setting me up. But I get the difference. Do we have to make a distinction? But when you have the Holy Spirit talking about something causes growth for the body unto the building of itself up in love, well, that's very spiritual focused, a building of, of itself in love. Doing love a little bit better, and I've never been anywhere, Cedar Park included, where, that lo- where a local church, if they're honest, couldn't say, we could do a little better with the love area. And he says, well, you, okay, every member... Every joint, well, they supply. The working is the effectual or effective working by which every part does its share. Every part plays a part. And when every member of the body, every part, every piece sees where he or she fits, and then that particular member is is committed to God... And, and, and wants to be holy and separate from the world and devoted and alive to God, then they're looking to be plugged in. They're looking, they're finding, they're wanting to find a place where they fit. I am, I'm not a puzzle guy. Sorry, not, watch somebody buy me a puzzle. I'm not a puzzle guy. Which means, generally around Christmas time Amy's family gets together and Amy's pulling out the 5,000 piece box of puzzle and says how would you like to put a puzzle together with me 
One year she did that, and, and I take the box, and she had gone into the other room, and I, and I open up the box, and I pull, spill out the pieces, and, and I start looking for all the pieces that have a corner edge. Don't, you do the same thing, and I'm finding all of the corner edge pieces, and I'm going to put the border together, and I'm looking at the picture on the box, and after a while I start getting those pieces together, and I'm putting it together, and I get that all together framed in, and I go to Amy and say, okay, you can have the rest. That didn't work. So we were sitting down and we were working on the puzzle and I'm finding a piece and I'm going to go over here and it's not working and then I'm finding a piece and that doesn't work and I'm going to go. And so after, after a while doing that, I, I've had enough. And so I'd taken one piece and I'd turned it this way and that didn't work and so I turned it that way and that didn't work. So finally I just started pushing down and shoving over here and Amy looked at me, she said, Paul, that piece doesn't go there. I said, it will when I'm done. <laughs> I wonder how many times in my ministry and in my service, I haven't tried to do that with people instead of pieces of a puzzle. Try to make them fit where they don't fit. I'm not, I'm, 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 not addressing, I'm not addressing apathy and indifference, unconcern, lack of care. Remember I said committed Christian? But I think sometimes I've tried to plug somebody in and make them fit where they don't fit. Look, if, if you have a problem with your vehicle, if you have a mechanical problem with your vehicle, I love you, I care about you. You don't want to call me. Way above my pay grade, absolutely useless when it comes to anything mechanical. And if you were to try to plug me in and make me a mechanic today, it's going to be a big disappointment from you and a discouragement to me. Because look, I'm going to try. I'm going to try really hard. And I'm going to fail every time. Because I'm not a mechanic. Why does Paul say God sees it this way and God has done this? God has placed in the body. This is what the Lord did. Last time I checked, he's really good at what he does. Last time I checked, his wisdom is far superior to mine. And what he asked me to do in Romans 12, in 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4, is to think sensibly, be committed to him, and play my part. Listen to Peter. Peter says it this way. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. As each one has received a gift, and he connects gift to manifold grace. And he says, here's the gift, which is an expression of God's grace. And Peter says, I want you to use it as a good steward. 
Y'all have sat in a thousand Bible classes and heard someone explain the concept of stewardship, to be a steward, to be entrusted with something by God and then expected by God who has entrusted me with this gift, these resources, whatever it is, and one day I will be called to give an account and God expects me as a steward to be faithful in those things that he has given to me. Reliable. I can depend on you. I can count on you, God says. Because when you see yourself as a steward of the manifold grace of God, you're just looking for ways to use what God has given you to his glory without putting the focus upon you but putting the focus on others without benefiting yourself but benefiting the body. And where did Paul start? Well, in Romans 12, he started with self. But really... In Romans chapter 1, he started with obedience of faith. I don't, to be honest, fully understand the temptation it would have been to be an apostle in the first century. To be quite honest, no comparison between an apostle and a shepherd today. I don't believe we have modern day apostles. The Lord used them in the first century the way he wanted to use them. But quite honestly, I, I, I don't know that I fully appreciate the temptation it would have been to, to be one of the true ambassadors for Jesus Christ and be chosen by Jesus, one sent by God to do the work. And boy, if James and John struggled with pride... If, if God preserved these stories where James and John get a black eye and some of his apostles get a black eye because they're arguing and they get upset and, and two of them say, you know, I want right hand and left hand and let me occupy this position and let me occupy this place. If God gives these men a black eye, then he does that for a reason because he wants us in the 21st century when we're trying to build better lives inside of community, he wants us to see something about his authority about his sovereign rule so that we'll present ourselves as alive to God, separate from the world, consecrated to God, and now plugged in in communities to serve one another. And so if leaders in churches, if members in the body don't see themselves the way Paul says we are to see ourselves. And some unfortunate things can happen that we never wanted to happen. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. 
questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.